stop. This message could save you from investing your precious time into a true crime story that goes nowhere. Avoid that disappointment. You need True Crime Feed Podcast. Unlimited premium true crime curated for you. Find out about a female serial dater turned serial killer. The truth about the D.A.R.E. program. Bizarre black markets, political murder plots, and a school for troubled teens so horrific it could be a Stephen King novel. True Crime Feed sifts the archives from the past decade to select the best cases and gives you a quick overview sprinkled with a teensy bit of humor, plus a weekly top three power ranking for shows currently trending, and lets you know what shows to send down your podcast queue trapdoor. You know you want those thrill chills, so come and get them. Subscribe to True Crime Feed. That's True Crime F-E-E-D wherever you get your podcasts. One day in Harlem, some young boys made an interesting discovery. The neighborhood boys were oblivious to the nature of the object they were handling. All they knew was that it was small, spongy, and covered in dirt. The boys played with this object for quite some time, completely unaware of just how important it was. It wasn't until detectives arrived at the children's park that they realized what was going on. The detectives swiftly took it from the boys, cleaned off a thin layer of dirt, and carefully placed it into an evidence bag. The toy that the children were playing with turned out to be a piece of another young boy's anatomy that had been severed. The detectives took it because it would serve as crucial evidence in bringing a brutal serial killer to justice. A killer that the police in New York may still be looking for. A deranged individual who would come to be known as... Charlie Chopoff. This tragic story takes place in New York. Specifically, it all happened in Harlem. It was March 9, 1972, and Harlem was facing dark times. Although it was once a place of great relevance to the positives of black culture, it would soon become an area that faced a lot of turmoil. Drug addicts were beginning to take over the area, and crime was following closely behind them. This led to middle-class families fleeing the area of Manhattan and taking refuge in the suburbs of Long Island and Westchester. With them gone, Harlem was now home to some of the poorest citizens of downstate New York. Statistically, almost two-thirds of households were bringing in less than $10,000. Vacant lots peppered the famous streets, and the area now had one of the highest crime rates in the city. Despite the increase in crime in the area, few could ever imagine the horror the community was about to face. On a rooftop at 222 East 121st Street, no more than two blocks from his home, was the body of eight-year-old Douglas Owens lying in a pool of his own blood. He'd been viciously stabbed in the neck, chest, and back. Douglas's genitals had been slashed and almost severed, still attached to the body by a flap of skin. Curiously, his shoes had been removed. It was a gruesome attack, and there was some evidence he may have been sexually assaulted as well. The police in Harlem would immediately investigate the case. Luckily, it would take just two weeks for them to get help from the public. 
On March 26, the police received an anonymous phone tip from a caller who claimed to know the identity of Douglas Owens' killer. The name given was Erno Soto. Soto was a Puerto Rican man who some believe had a very convincing motive for attacking a black child in Harlem. Soto's wife had left him. When he'd attempted to mend fences and reconcile with her, he learned that she had had a child with a black man. While Soto publicly presented that he was not bothered by the fact, privately, according to those close to him, Soto was visibly enraged. They also alleged that his behavior had become increasingly and dangerously erratic. After suffering a mental health episode, he was committed to Manhattan State Hospital in 1969. He would continue to be in and out of the facility as he was dealing with numerous bouts of uncontrollable violence. Interestingly, the police ignored the tip. While continuing their investigation of Owens' murder, they would have to deal with yet another murder. On April 20, an unnamed 10-year-old boy was sodomized and stabbed repeatedly on a roof. Just like Douglas Owens, the boy had his genitals mutilated. It was cut off and taken by the assailant. Another similarity was that the victim's shoes had been removed. Miraculously, the boy survived the attack. The police also located his genitals in a park that was close by. Since the boy had survived his attempted murder, he was able to give a description of his attacker to the police. He said that his attacker was a man who was in his late 30s, either Hispanic or Italian with dark hair, and had skin that was neither dark nor fair, but pockmarked. He was thin and seemed to have been walking with a slight limp. Two features that stood out from the description were a mole on the left side of his face and unusual black marks on the left of his chin. The assailant had called himself Michael and lured the boy away with the promise of 50 cents if he followed him. The police believed that these two boys were the victims of a lust killer. These types of killers typically seek sexual gratification through their killing. The act of their choice of violence stands in place of the act of penetration. One of the hallmarks of a lust killer is sexual mutilation being present at some point during their attack. Sexual torture is also common with these types of killers. Fantasies in particular are a vital aspect of lust killers. With this fantasy evolving and never being fulfilled, becoming increasingly violent as the murderer attempts to fulfill this fantasy. As the kills become less gratifying, a lust killer will make their attacks more gruesome to get that release they're looking for. And then there is the type of victim the killer chooses. The choice of victim reflects something that the perpetrator has found sexually attractive. This gives the killer their ideal victim type and leads to them passing up any other potential targets that don't fit their type. In the case of the killer in Harlem, whom the press dubbed Charlie Chopoff, his type appears to be young black boys. That pattern would hold true just a few months later. On October 23rd, Charlie Chopoff would strike once again. This time, he viciously stabbed Wendell Hubbard to death on the roof of his own home at 2013 Fifth Avenue. 
near 125th Street. Wendell was stabbed 17 times in the neck, chest, and abdomen. Once again, his genitals were cut off and taken away. The killer would then take a break before striking again in 1973. On March 7th, nine-year-old Louise Ortiz had been running an errand at the corner store to buy milk and bread. At some point, he came across the Harlem serial killer. Unlike the previous victims, Ortiz was found in the basement stairwell at 200 West 106th Street, a knot on a roof. Despite the difference in both location and race, there was still little doubt that he was a victim of the same killer. Ortiz was killed just one block away from where the surviving victim was attacked. He was stabbed 38 times, and his genitals were cut off. Although he was Hispanic, Ortiz was dark-skinned. The police believed that caused the killer to mistake him for a black child. As per usual, with a string of killings concentrated in a specific area, there was a growing sense of fear among the members of the community. As fear grew, so did resentment toward the authorities. The residents of Harlem were frustrated with the police because of the appearance that they weren't taking the murders seriously. Protests would erupt in the streets and citizens took matters into their own hands. Public meetings were held and children made a video to warn others not to talk to strangers. Thankfully, the police would eventually respond to the people of Harlem. The investigators eventually created a new 10-person homicide task force to deal with the slayings, with 50 detectives in total taking on the case. There were door-to-door -door searches from 86th to 110th Street. Over 300 tips came in, and over 150 persons of interest were investigated and interviewed. Police also reviewed nearly 10,000 police records on known child sex offenders and even asked Interpol for files, believing that the suspect may have been a foreign national. Sadly, all of these efforts produced nothing. A new community video was released from witnesses who'd been in the area, with reports confirming the description from the surviving victim. Sergeant Edmund Klan from the 5th District Homicide Assault Squad was placed in charge of the investigation. Speaking with the New York Times, Klan said, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. Despite the protests, many in the local community were still supportive of the police effort. At the same time, they weren't feeling very optimistic that the suspect would be apprehended, having had a long history of being treated as second-class citizens when it came to investigating crime. This led to a resentment of the police that has persisted into the present day. Barbara Rosenthal, who lived on the street where Ortiz was killed, spoke with the New York Times. She expressed that the fear of the police was almost as strong as the fear of the killer. She said, My kids started screaming, and when I looked through the peephole and the men said they were the police, I told them they must be kidding if they thought I was going to open the door. Meanwhile, reports appearing in the news claimed that the growing fears of the locals had led to residents and even the children of the community arming themselves. The killings had a profoundly negative effect on the children in the area. Parents reported that their children were having nightmares 
and teachers reported that they had found students acting out the murders on the playground. Some children started walking with a limp, like the suspect, attempting to frighten or impress their classmates. In fact, it was the local children who gave the serial killer the moniker Charlie Chopoff, and the press ran with it. Then things would get violent. After being seen loitering in the area, Luis Alberto Gonzalez was questioned at the 7th Precinct Station about the case. The police also felt that he fit the attacker's description. After questioning, the police ascertained that he had nothing to do with the killings. However, the members of the community heard that the police had a suspect at the station. Angry locals surrounded the station and demanded that the suspect be handed over to them. The police had to erect barricades to stave off the angry mob. The barricades were quickly surmounted and rioters scaled the station's roof and onto police cruisers. Some called it a lynch mob as tension threatened to boil over with traffic diverted and news crews rushing to the scene. Eventually, Gonzalez had to be smuggled out of the station, disguised as a police officer. After things died down with Gonzalez, the community would become aware of a familiar name. On August 17th, eight-year-old Stephen Cropper was killed on a rooftop on the Lower East Side. His body was found by a woman walking her dog. A key difference in this attack was that the victim was slashed repeatedly instead of being stabbed. There was also no damage to the victim's genitals. However, his shoes were removed like the other victims. Stephen Cropper had last been seen by his mother an hour before he left the apartment to play. His body would be found at 5.30 p.m. Witnesses in the area reported seeing a limping man running from the building where Cropper was found. The description was nearly identical to earlier reports and the composite sketch. Yet, despite this, police suspected that this latest killing wasn't one of the Charlie Chopoff murders. They noted that the nature of the attack was different and that it took place in an area farther from the previous attacks. The other killings had all taken place either in East Harlem or Manhattan. But when the police had to consider the possibility that there were physically similar men killing young black boys in New York, they could not buy into that coincidence. They then attributed the murder of Stephen Cropper to one serial killer. Then, on August 20th, the police would come across a viable suspect. Daniel Olivo was arrested on charges of sexually assaulting a five-year-old boy in a Bronx park. Mario Marola, the Bronx district attorney, said that he fit the description of the suspect in the murder of Stephen Cropper. That also meant that he fit the description of the other Charlie Chopoff killings. Despite the allegations against him, Oliva was dismissed from the inquiry when it was discovered he had alibis for the killings and wasn't even in the city. The following spring, the police would be faced with a suspect they'd neglected throughout the case. On May 15, 1974, Erno Soto attempted to abduct a young boy. He got away and told his family what happened. Soto was quickly surrounded by neighbors and detained until police arrived. He was charged with the kidnapping and immediately under suspicion of being the serial killer. Soto already had a rap sheet, having spent a total of 11 years in jail. In addition to his violence, 
He had also been arrested on several occasions for burglary and drug possession, being treated for heroin addiction. The Manhattan State Hospital, where he would spend time, was not far from where some of the bodies had been found. Under intense questioning at the Bellevue Hospital, where he had been sent for observation, Soto admitted to killing Stephen Cropper. During his confession, he claimed that God had told him he must turn little boys into girls. The Manhattan State Hospital diagnosed Soto with schizophrenia. He was indicted for Cropper's murder in 1976, but was found not guilty by way of insanity at a non-jury trial at the State Supreme Court. He was permanently committed to a state mental institution for the criminally insane. While there doesn't seem to be any doubts about Soto being the killer of Cropper, it turns out that the only surviving victim couldn't pick him out of a lineup, saying only that his appearance was similar to his attacker. At his trial, it was revealed that a high level of incompetence led to Soto having the opportunity to commit these brutal murders. Just three days after the killing of Douglas Owens, Soto was committed to the Manhattan State Hospital as he had, in their words, become violent with grandiose religious delusions. But somehow, he was not at the hospital when the next victim was attacked. He returned to the hospital again, but was released three days later, despite hospital records stating that he was still in a psychotic state. He wouldn't be admitted again until April of 1973, after the murders of Wendell Hubbard and Louise Ortiz. The Manhattan State Hospital was questioned regarding his whereabouts for the Cropper killing, and officials stated that Soto had been confined on that date. However, they admitted that he regularly left the facility, and they couldn't guarantee he'd not been out in the community during that time. Despite hospital records, clearly stating he was psychotic when discharged. Director Dr. Stephen Racklin said he wasn't familiar with Soto's case, and he assumed that, that when he was released, he was not deemed to be dangerous. While nobody has ever been found guilty of the murders and the case officially remains open, authorities believe that they have their man. Since Soto's arrest and subsequent sentencing, no more killings took place. Soto is still believed to be incarcerated in a high-security institution and is unlikely ever to be released. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.